you guys do realize that hard work is no longer the variable of success. Working hard as a micro gym owner does not cut it anymore. You all wake up early. You all spend time on your programming and developing your coaches. You all care about your clients. You're doing hard work. Just most of you are not doing smart work. Trust me, this is coming from somebody who grew a micro gym in 10 years to the point where I was able to retire at the end of that tenure. I was able to come purchase commercial real estate, and now I can sit back and enjoy and create content for you guys. And what I see out in the workplace is that most of you are working so hard. You just don't know what the fuck you're doing. You're not working smart, which is why I created MGU, the only online business school for micro gym owners. When you get into MGU, the entire concept is this is not a system. This is not a this is how you should run your gym. My goal is to educate you as if you had gone to college for the business of fitness. My goal is to show you all of the best strategies and tactics used by some of the top brands in the industry and give you the opportunity to deploy the ones that you believe would best fit your business model. Next time you're talking with a bunch of owners or you go to a business summit, I want you to be the guy or girl in the room that people are listening to. You're able to chime in and have high-level conversations with the top owners and the speakers or who's ever there because you truly do understand the business side of this whole thing. It goes beyond programming. It goes beyond community and it sure as hell goes beyond coaching. Guys, get enrolled in Microgym University. The link is in my Instagram bio. It is $50 a month. Cancel any damn time you want. I don't care if you watch all the courses, binge them in a weekend, which would be damn near impossible. There's over, I think, 80 plus hours of courses, but you get the idea. You can consume it all and then never pay me another dime. I do not care. I just want more micro gym owners doing hard work done smart. Guys, link is in the Instagram bio. Go get enrolled. Boom. All right. What is up, guys? This is Stu. It is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. And I've got a long-term buddy of mine, Dan Torito, and someone I've known from a distance and we're connected through seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, Ben McDonald. You guys are with BGW Wealth, correct? Yep. All right. Now, here's the interesting thing. BGW Wealth um, is a wealth management firm. You guys do CPA services. You got, you got a whole kit and caboodle in here. Right. However... Mm-hmm. For everyone listening, um, 99.9999% of you, this is not relevant because you don't have enough money for them to manage. You couldn't meet the minimum if you robbed the bank today. So the goal here, though, what's interesting why I'm bringing them on is not to pitch their business, but because Ben is the owner of a CrossFit gym and Torito has been a member of CrossFit. When did you first start doing CrossFit? It was before me. 2008. 2008. So In Buffalo. Yeah. So we have... We have guys that understand the micro gym world, and my goal for bringing them on is to hopefully help any of the the micro gym owners who are like, what what do I do with wealth management? Like, I just got a CPA two years ago, right? Like, I I think of 401k as a laser, and I don't know who Roth is. Like, I don't know Dick from Dick. (laughs) And my goal is less to kind of dumb this down and kind of give maybe some starting steps or just kind of shoot the shit, break some myth building or some wealth building myths and i don't know we'll see what happens as the whiskey goes down so um cool real quick though let's get into it like this how long have you owned crossfit huntersville ben so i bought it in march of last year so it's been what 11 months we a member there or how was, what was the so it was actually the first gym i ever went to okay uh, i moved down from new york nine years ago yep. started as a member of crossfit huntersville and the two guys that ended up buying it um that i i bought it from they knew that I ran different businesses, and so they just approached me and said, hey, I'm getting burnt out. We've been doing this for a long time. I'm ready for the next step in my career. Do you have any interest in owning a gym? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I, I didn't because I was also taking over the wealth management firm, but it just it made sense. I was able to get partners that could do the full-time day-to-day, and I could support them on the business end. So it just kind of came together organically to where we were able to, to buy it and start turning it around. Let's talk about that. So- when smart, you're what I call smart money. When smart money comes into to a dumb money business, right? A business that just doesn't really fucking know what they're doing, and the bits and pieces there, like all the ingredients are on the counter, but that recipe was just dog shit, right? What's the number one thing you look at when you when you stepped into that role? Yeah. So step one was organizing all of it because numbers and understanding where profitability was or wasn't, things like that. They're just, none of that was there. And it was pretty relevant going through the the buying aspect of it is 
I could see what the numbers were, but there was no organization. So that was the first piece is, okay, get it lined up, knowing what are your profitability per member, per class, those types of things. And then after that, it was figuring out how do we scale it and how do we do it with with multiple forms of revenue. So one of the biggest issues for that business was the only way they made money was from memberships and memberships was also dramatically discounted. Um, So within, I think, three months, our revenue doubled from when when I bought it. And it's not because we brought in 100 new members. It was because we made the gym more profitable. And then we also were able to tack in things like nutrition and physical therapy and personal training and those types of things. Was the first thing you did go in and be like, okay, look at all these bullshit discounted rates, grandfathered individuals, get everyone on a premium fair market value? Just Actually, no. Uh, because there was a ton of loyalty in that gym. Sure. That we wanted to honor that and we wanted them to know who we were. Okay. Because you're the I new worked, people coming in. You got and, it. You know, you're I had new been daddy. there and knew a decent amount of them because the loyalty was so great. They were there nine years ago when I was working out there. Um, so what we did instead is we said, okay, we, I think it was an email we sent out within the first week or two saying, eventually we will get rates to what they should be. But for now, we're just leaving everything as is. You're going to get to know us. You're going to get to see what we're going to do with the gym. And then at that point, you're going to be able to make a decision of whether you want to stick with the gym or not. So we did that towards the end of, of last year. So we gave everybody about nine months of keeping their rates where they were. And then, then we, we took them to still a, a grandfather discounted rate because we appreciate sure. their loyalty. But it's much closer to market rate than, than it was. When you came in, did you increase the current fair market rate yes. so anyone new coming in? Everybody knew coming in. I always recommend that because there's gym owners who are like, but Sally, like let's say when Torito was a client of mine, like... Uh, and let's say I raise prices on Torito. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm scared to do that. Like, I don't want to upset him, whatever. So I raise prices and everyone knew coming in the door. And you sell enough of those. And I'm like, that fuck face who just walked in the door doesn't know me from anybody, doesn't know me, trust me, or currently pay me. They're willing to pay $200. Yeah. This motherfucker will definitely pay. <laughs> like, right. He shouldn't have an issue also paying what a stranger will pay me. Yeah. So it builds some confidence under the owner that that is a market rate that people will pay. Um Okay, so fixing fixed rates for new people coming in and then adjusting people to nine month mark. When you did it, good attrition rate on that. Bad attrition rate. One me- one member left. Perfect. It was awesome, a- and everybody got it right yeah. at that point. They saw what we did. We were doing things really well. We'd renovated the facility. They knew what they were paying for at that point, and yeah. that's why we didn't want to do it right away. I think there would have been a much greater attrition rate if we yeah. came in and three weeks in, they're getting an email or a phone call saying, "Hey, your rates are doubling." You as a customer. You've been you've been a customer like at this at gyms for consecutive consecutive years. How many times have you been hit with like a price raise email? That always that awkward correspondence that an owner sends out. Um, maybe once or twice in the last yeah. decade. Okay, I, I don't think it's been many. Never with you. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I think. And the thing with it was always interesting with us. And I well, where I want to go with this is what I'm what I'm instructing more. Price raises are tough. If you wanted to keep up, generally, we're, I want to see someone, if you're going to, let's say you're going to increase prices uh, 6% every two years, 8% every two years, something like that, just to keep up with just inflation. inflation call, right. Yeah, all yeah. that, right? It, maybe not right now. <laughs> it wouldn't put too much of a dent in it. But um, that's an annoying fucking customer service process to go through. What I started installing in micro gyms was just in the contract, and there's an annual 3% increase every single year. It doesn't matter when you, like, whenever you start, whatever that rate is, you will see a 3% increase. And that it was originally just done to just offset the average commercial lease that was going up by 3%, just that alone, right? Let alone everything else. And that's nice because you set that in place once and that's fucking crockpot. You set it, forget it. You never have to send that annoying email again. You never, and very rarely is someone going to notice a 3% cert, you know, extra charge on that, you know, annually. It's difficult too, because otherwise you're seeing owners every two years, like, fuck, this went up, gotta that went up, again. I got to do yep. it again. Yep. And no matter how many times you do it, there's that anxiety. You hit send and you're like, oh, fuck, you go have a drink and you're just waiting for the cancellation emails to come in. Yeah. Another piece we did early on was switching everybody from credit cards to EFT. Yeah. It's like, okay, the member is paying the same amount and we get to make more. Correct. I mean, why would they not be okay with that? Yeah. And for anyone not familiar, EFT, your, your credit cards. Sorry, electronic up, funds. Correct. Yeah. Coming from the bank. Pretty sure you just had a rant about this the other day. Yeah, didn't I, you? yeah <laughs> I did. I fucking get so mad when I see people they are like, what do you mean? I'm like, if you get their ACH information, you're going to be at 1.3% probably as a merchant processing fee. Right in that 1.3, 1.6, if that. And then credit card, you're going to be at three point whatever. Yeah. Also a credit card. I, I'm going to lose, like tonight, I'm going out tonight after the game, and I'm going to lose my credit cards at every strip club and bar in Charlotte. Like, they're going to be gone. And then I'm going to have to redo my auto pays with everybody come Monday. And if I decide not to sign back up with whatever company, 
and I owe them a debt, like you know they're receiving pounds and or accounts and arrears. I'm I'm scot free. What are they going to do? Especially a gym, they're not getting a credit collector come after you. So I always no. thought like the credit card just had such high volatility. Just chips go bad. Just the administrative part of changing that out. And, well, and if nothing else. You, they always expire. Correct. Right? So yes. even if you kept it in yes. pristine condition, it's still going to expire at 100%. Point. Yes. Whereas nobody's going to close their bank account to avoid a conversation about quitting a gym. No, because you have to go into a bank to close right. a checking account. <laughs> That's like, infinitely worse than calling us up and saying, hey, this is just not working out 100%. or I'm moving or whatever. Yeah. And it just, and I, in, the thing is like, well, okay, but my members want like, uh, like American Airlines card. I want the points. Yep. I get it. Charge them the 3% extra yep. on it, and they will that's pay what, it. That's exactly what we do. I pay my mortgage on my credit card through Plastic. You ever use that that uh, service? I got it because you told me oh, about did it. Did I tell yeah. you about that? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So I use Plastic, and it just allows you to pay for shit you can't pay with a credit card. And then you, know, you just pay it off right away, but now I get the fucking points and high-ticket purchases that are going to happen every month anyway. But it's worth the, I don't know, $40 fucking fee or whatever they charge me in order to get the points. And, and your clients in your micro gym will do the same thing. I always like to give them, hey, ACH is required, credit card is optional third but we want that as a backup in case your shit goes bunk mm-hmm. um all right give me another thing give me another big ticket thing you did to turn around that gym so i mentioned the the ancillary offerings so what we did coming into this was we had a pretty clear vision of we don't want to be a crossfit gym we want to be a more holistic health community okay meaning we're helping you with your fitness and how you move you talk all the time, how do I look naked? Sure. Right. But that also means nutrition. It means if you've had lingering issues because you've done CrossFit for years and you just were doing kipping pull-ups when you shouldn't have been doing kipping pull-ups that we're offering the physical therapy or the massage, things like that. So that happened really quickly uh, of getting those things in there. And also the communication to the members of you can work out, but 70% of how you look is done in the kitchen. Right, so if you don't have your nutrition dialed in, you eat like shit. Yeah, you can work out all day long, and you're going to look terrible yeah. five years from now. Yeah. So that was another piece, and that dramatically increased. That was the quickest thing to to increase our revenue. Was we got people that they were all of a sudden CrossFit members. They got some personal programming because they wanted to work on getting ring muscle ups. They did nutrition. Now they're they're extremely loyal clients. Yeah, right. Nutrition is that you know. Other revenue stream, it's always tricky. Like North Carolina, you have to be an RD to actually give a prescription. Otherwise, it's a recommendation. Right, yeah. But it's also one of those ones where generally it's a gym owner who's like, I need another revenue stream. This is a good one. But nutrition has the lowest compliance. Like ask any RD who does it professionally. It's got the lowest compliance out of anything. And number two, it's one of those things like whenever you uh, you add a revenue stream that's a skill set you don't possess as the owner, you can't readily recreate it gets tough if you lose that employee. And that generally I'll have a gym that's got nutrition and there's a falling out or there's a something and that person leaves. I'm like, well, fuck, well, I can't just pull nutrition out of my ass. I mean, I guess right. I know it, but I'm not precision nutrition certified. I'm not HSN certified or whatever fuck it may be. Now I got to go hunt one of those people down. And so I'd like it. It just, it's definitely something, have a, have a little bit of a bench. So there's, there's two ways you can handle it, especially as a gym owner, but we do the same type thing in, in wealth management. You can either be the expert internally or you can partner with the expert externally. Sure. Right. So if you don't want to handle nutrition, you can bring an RD in, they can use your space, you can get rent from them, and then you get a percentage of their revenue, but they get access to your members. And now you get to offer it, you get to market it, but you don't have to be the expert in it. That's and that's what we did because I did nutrition in house at CrossFit Southam for years. I did those fucking nutritional seminars every once a month, every month for five years, and then I got uh, RXRD, a guy named Matt Dangler who owns a, a nutrition company here in Charlotte, and then we just outsourced to him and caught twenty percent of everything he charged. And he was able to charge. 450 or more a month because he's an actual RD, right? Yep, yep. Way more than I could charge for nutrition at my level. So it frees up how much of your time to be able to do things that you actually know how to do. Right? Yeah. And, and, and it's also too, it's like it was such a small percentage, like all that time for 9%, 8% of the membership to bite and then I close maybe half of them. It was just, it's a tough thing to, to bite off. Cool. All right. I like all that. Um, how are you liking being a gym owner and doing the wealth management thing now? Is it is it any different like, I mean, you're doing wealth management before, but like now you have your own shop. Right. How does that look? Like, are you, you're com- completely removed from the gym. You're, I, you don't have to leave here to go coach the 6 p.m. class. Correct. So I coach zero <laughs> classes. I will never coach a class. Um, yeah. So we purposely set it up to where my two partners, they're, they're the face of the gym. They're in there. They're doing some coaching, but they're managing the, uh, the coaches, things like that. My job in that is I, neither of them have owned a business before. 
So it's perfect. I can meet with you every week and ongoing as we need, and we'll go through everything. We'll yeah. go through numbers. We'll go through marketing strategies. What are the next cycles that we have going up for, for content branding, things like that. Um, so I'm helping them more on the back end. And then I'm just showing face as much as I can. Cool. Even if I'm doing my own workout or something, I'm at least getting into the gym when I can and talking to members and making yep. sure that I'm a face at least. And then going to the, like our Christmas party had a hundred people RSVP. Yeah. So it's like, I'm showing up there and making sure anybody I haven't met, I'm having conversations yeah. with. That's the community check. It's like, I don't, don't tell me how good your community is. How many people showed up at the Christmas party? Right. Like everyone has a holiday party and that's like the litmus test of how good is your fucking community yeah. or how many people like free booze, like one of the two. <laughs> well, <right? yeah. laughs> or both. It's or just, both. They're just a little bit of both. All right, cool. So now let's get into some wealth management stuff um, from micro gym owners. You understand this position really well. I know you understand this position really well. Where would one start who doesn't have a personal a financial planner, professional financial planner? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a brokerage account. They haven't probably even set up a 401k or anything like that for their own LLC. And where, where, like, where's step one for somebody listening? Are you talking on the personal side or business side? Let's go personal. Let, yeah, let, let's go personal. Okay. So on the personal side, there's, well, even before we do all of this, just because I'm licensed, I've got to say none of this is actual advice, right? We're just giving general guidance. So there, check the yes. compliance box. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you. Right. Yeah. The Dan's COO mind is like, depend, make sure we're not yeah. stepping over. I'll make lines. sure to put that into the copy of any of the posts. Yeah. I don't need a call from our compliance lawyer on Monday. Yeah. All right. Um, so the number one piece for me, for an individual is them understanding their cash flow. So if they don't have any investments yet, what their income looks like compared to their outflow, they need to get that dialed in first. And that's very basic, right? It's almost just budget type stuff. But, and I know you, you like the the profit first mentality. I like using that in business, but also in personal. If you're not separating out a certain amount that you make sure that you're saving for yourself so you can start investing and start investment accounts, then you're just never going to. You're just going to be on the hamster wheel that you make a little bit more money, you spend a little bit more money. So I think getting something in place, some sort of structure, whether it's profit first or any other type of, uh, of structure, understanding where your inflows and outflows are so you can start treating yourself that way and make sure you're putting money aside. And then we can get that money working for you. Yeah. But until you take that step, you'll, you'll just be on the hamster wheel. And for anyone, uh, curate, like, so profit, yeah, I thought it was over yeah so profit first, anyone who's fucking, uh, anyway, let me just summarize this real quick. Instead of having one checking account with all your bullshit money in it, okay, you're going to go ahead and divvy it up into several different checking accounts. And essentially you're just putting everything away. So like I do my allocations for profit, my profit first for like WTF every Friday. And my income account goes to zero at the end of that every Friday. Cause someone's allocated the tax and payroll and owner pay and you know, whatever the fuck travel, whatever it may be. So essentially to, instead of staring at your check, account where you feel insulated and safe, like, oh, I got $6,500 in there. I'm okay. Not really fuck face because 2,000 of that's due to Uncle Sam. Uh, 3,000 of that is probably have to go to payroll and the rest is overhead. You actually have $0 in there, but you're just feeling safe because you like seeing that number. And I used to be that guy way back early in the day. I remember the safety net of like, I don't want to see a low number. I I work so hard to see an even mediocre five-figure number. Like, I don't want to do that. But I'm telling you... um, Well, you know what the best feeling is when you go from that of thinking, hey, I've got 6,500, I feel okay. And now you have these multiple accounts and all of your expenses are taken and you have money in the account that's for you. Yeah. That's the good feeling because now you know that money is actually yours for the first time. Because when you have one checking account, you have no idea how much is yours, how much is going to rent, how much is going to your employees. Yeah. So separating it out, that's the feeling that that makes a change. There's this big emotional response to that, right? I mean, you've got this this feeling of right being insulated sure. by the number. And I think once education happens, because I used to be that way. I used to love seeing the big number in the account and then just like it would chip away and chip away. And then I would it would I'd get paid again and it was back up and it felt great. But I had all these other debts and expenses that weren't going down as relatively large as the other number yeah. was going down. So once I got education and you know, learned about this stuff. And I was going to say my place to start if I didn't know anything was, would be YouTube. There's so many resources on YouTube right now to, yeah. to just go and learn about. You can learn what, about anything. What's yeah. a 401k? Like I, that's where I learned half, half the shit that I learn is, is through YouTube. Yeah. Um, right. But being able to shift from an emotional response to money to a logical response is, that was the biggest game changer for me in managing my own personal wealth. Yeah. 
you could have saved all of like I don't know how much it costs for you to go to that retard school up in Rochester, but you could have saved all that money and just learned on YouTube. If you wouldn't have had yep. to fucking sit there with your helmet on in the back yeah. of class. Seriously, <laughs> man, I, I'm still paying for it. So, <laughs> well, and we still have clients that are like that, where they like seeing cash in the bank because there's a comfort level to yeah. it, right? So there are people that are overweighted in things like cash mm-hmm. and not having that money working for them, and don't understand the that interest or inflation is digging away yeah. yeah but it's the emotional aspect of it i remember uh i was at a seminar one of the last seminars i was at and we all went out drinking whatever afterwards i had stopped at the atm and it was a cash cover kind of scenario and i used my personal debit card and you know it shows the balance on there and the kid by one of the guys behind me is like man i thought you'd have more than that and i'm like bro why would you like, you get to a point where you're like why would i ever keep right money in my checking account. Yeah. It's not making any money in there. You lose money every day. I, I don't care right. what fucking alloy high point zero zero nine fucking yield high savings account <laughs> you fucking have. Like get it out of your checking account. And that going back to Torino's point, like education is that money sitting in your account is it, it make make you feel better, right? It's like yeah. a rocket chair. It gives you something to do, but it ain't fucking going anywhere. It's not doing it not it's not working for you. And I yeah, I remember when that light switch went on, I was like the less I just literally need the what I just need the bare minimum of my checking account to fucking just bounce around and, and fucking around town and you know that's it and uh, but yeah I, I I remember that distinctly as you were saying that I just remember I'm like man I thought I'm like fuck I like I didn't know what to point him to I didn't know like follow read this wealth management blog for gym owners like I like there wasn't anything to point him to at the time yeah yep. well and both of you had mentioned four hundred one k's right yeah. well that's what people think of when they think of business retirement plans very few of micro gym owners should ever have a 401k, right? They just don't need it. They're not a large enough, more sophisticated enough company. But most don't even know that there are things like simple IRAs or SEP IRAs, which are business retirement plans for smaller companies. So as we get farther down the road of, hey, you've you figured out where you, now you've made a profitable company, you've hired the right accountant or CPA, so you're starting to maximize your, your taxes. After that, it's how are you saving money and how are you saving taxes? Well, most people will think I'm going to go get a 401k. Well, now you're paying a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks, and then you're paying a third party administrator, and you're digging into and paying unnecessary expenses. But if you get educated at all, you're going to know that there are other things like simple IRA or stuff like that that fit a small business, especially a micro gym, dramatically more. Yeah. Is that so? Going back to the original question. So first thing first is obviously you have to get your money right. But let's ask this. So a gym owner is like, okay, my money's right. I have a profit of $672 a month. Do I still do something with that? Absolutely. Right. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So I like walk me through that. Even like for someone who's looking at yeah. 500 so, or so dollars. So you know, you've got a little bit of money, You're right? Let's use $500 a month. Yep. So you have that money. You're not spending it. You don't need emergency savings or whatever. You can go on. There are tons of places online that you can go and open up an account. It'd be a brokerage account because you don't want to do it. If you need access to it, you wouldn't want to do a retirement account. Right, because then you're tied into can't touch it till you're 59 and a half without penalties and taxes, things like that. Um, and that's obviously very simplistic. There's more to it. But at any rate, it'd be a non-retirement account. You can go and you can open and you, you just set up a monthly recurring contribution to it. And you can invest in, you don't need to pick investments. You can invest in an exchange traded fund or ETF. People have probably heard of index funds, those types of things where you don't have to choose the diversification. You don't have to choose what stock am I going to put my $500 where I get to buy one share of something. Sure. Right. You can go buy something like that and just let it be automated. Yeah. And it, setting that up. It like clear. So like, um, a good example of automation would be like a target data index fund, something yep. that you yep. you know, it's going to be a nice little three fund portfolio. You just go ahead and buy it. You put X amount of money in it, whether it's a Schwab or a, a Vanguard or whatever kind of brokerage mm-hmm. account you're looking at. Now, how much of this should somebody YouTube and do on their own? Like how much, and, and I know this is like your guys's business, but realistically, how far can somebody kind of walk themselves on this themselves before they should go and then get a professional? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, and the level of professional is different also, right? Based off of, hey, I can get somebody at an Edward Jones or an LPL or something like that versus I can get a private wealth manager like what we are, right? So early on, if you figure out doing a target date fund or whatever you do and you make that automated and you build it up, you're going to be pretty, you're going to be pretty set for a while. Once you start to get closer to six figures, you're going to start to get actual service when you go to an advisor. And that's the problem. So I started at Edward Jones and I saw you'd get a lot of people that have $5,000, $10,000 and they want an advisor. And that's great. But that advisor who's taking you on at $5,000 probably has 500 clients. 
they're going to give you no service, but they're going to charge you a heck of a lot more than going on and just putting it in a target date fund or an index fund. So once you get close to six figures, you'll start to get some advisors that are at least going to take you seriously and give you the time of day. That would be, in my mind, the mentality of, okay, I can shift and maybe get a professional at that point. Got it. Um, And you could even probably say that for 50,000, you'd get an advisor that is typically newer. Doesn't mean that they don't know what they're doing, but they would take on somebody with with a lower amount. So somewhere that fifty to one hundred thousand range, I think you can start to think seriously about hiring a professional. So that's how I, <clears throat> Ben and I actually started working together because he was my advisor. So uh, before BGW sure. Wealth, we were he he managed my money. Got it. Um, I managed my own for maybe close to a decade. You should have had him manage your facial hair because his facial hair is so much better than yours. <laughs> this is just <laughs> stash is just killing it right now. I mean. <laughs> All right. Well, we can end the uh, the podcast. But how how cool is that? Going to your schools, it's great. It's it's perfect. <laughs> but think about it though. <laughs> it's just it's so funny because you see in the gym industry too. How many times does a client become uh, a coach type scenario? Yeah. And how many, like, it just it's very cool how 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 the how the things like that interwork. All right, continue though. No, so I I knew enough about yeah. being in financial services as a profession. I knew enough about the industry to know how to manage my own money. I thought, um, but then I got into right becoming more high earner. My income went up year over year. It went up 200% when I got a promotion. So things changed and my time dramatically decreased. Decreased, yeah. So it became this, you know, Risk, this, yeah. Yeah, the diminishing returns on how, cost, yeah, yeah. How, how much can I actually put into my own wealth management at, at scale and to actually start to reap some of the benefits. You know, maybe when you have $5,000, you don't get any benefits, but things like tax loss harvesting and not paying taxes on what you're actually take, making capital gains on, that's super important when you have, you know, six figures in in your account. Sure. So once you start to actually be able to to understand the benefits of having a financial advisor, it becomes super important. So if someone's looking and they're like, okay, well, so I'm listening to Dan and Ben, and maybe I shouldn't go to one of these McDonaldization of you know firms kind of scenario because I'm going to be one of five hundred. What do you think as as a as you guys are a growing younger firm, right? Yeah, so it's been around for six years, okay. but it was pretty stagnant compared to what we're doing now. Okay. So yeah, it's really taken off since since I took it over. Okay. So what would you say, like, if I'm if someone's investigating and interviewing firms, what's the right, uh, you know, um, client to so like what the rep uh, ratio? Like, what does that look like? Like in a group class, right? If you told me you're going one yeah. to fifty, I'm like, you better be an Orange Theory. If you're teaching everyone an overhead squat, you're about to decapitate nineteen people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Our number in our mind, uh, and again, this is higher net worth, so it's a little different, but our numbers, we don't want more than 100 uh, clients per advisor. Okay. And the idea is as we grow and say an advisor gets over 100, we're assigning junior advisors and giving them a full team, right? So if you're under 100, I think that's elite. What you'll typically see is a good advisor is going to have less than 250. And if they're under that, then that's a decent ratio where they're at least going to be able to do service on a consistent basis as long as they have all their back end stuff as far as how they handle portfolio management, things like that. 250 is a, a solid number. If you start to get over that, which I saw a ton of that where I came from, not just Edward Jones, right? Just those wirehouse firms in general, it's it's a numbers game. So they'll get four or 500 and if they lose one or two, they don't care because sure, they're yeah. only concentrating on their top 20% anyway. Um, so once you get over that 250, 300 number, they're probably so diluted that they're not going to give most people the time of day compared to what they should be. Okay. So they, okay. So get the business shit together. Make sure you've got a little bit of money, at least $500, take that $500, get into some kind of a brokerage account, go ahead and, and open up whichever one fidelity, whatever you're into. And is there, is there a rhyme or reason why somebody should pick one brokerage and what the big ones, uh, fidelity, mm-hmm. Schwab, TV. Vanguard, TD. TD. Yeah. So each of them will do something a little bit different. Uh, so like Vanguard, they have their own mutual funds and ETFs, right? Versus And Schwab does too, and Fidelity does also, but they they offer significantly more investments on their platform. So if you're good with, hey, Vanguard has really low ETF costs, I'm just going to go in there and just use theirs, then that's probably fine. Yeah. But if you want some Vanguard and some Charles Schwab and some whatever uh, BlackRock uh, funds, then you'd have to go to one of the other ones, the the Schwabs or Fidelities or TDs. Got it. And so you pick a brokerage account, and then uh, what would be your number one for self handled investing? What's your go to? Just index fund? Like where where's your recommendation? I think that's an easy place for people to be able to start. Yeah, it it makes it to where they don't have to manage day to day, and that's the most important thing, right? Because the people who are listening, they're business owners. 
and you don't have the time to log in every 30 minutes to your Vanguard account seeing if you need to be making a trade because Facebook is down 25% like it was yesterday, right? You just, you can't have your life be dictated by managing your investments. You're not the expert in that, first of all, and that's not where you should be spending your time. Yeah. So using something like a, an ETF or, or something index fund, anything in that category, at least allows it to be hands-off where you can plug and play. You put it in, figure out what you want to do from a risk tolerance standpoint, and then just just let it go. Be able to just consistently build up that account. And for everyone listening, you guys, because you're the experts on this, cut me off at any point that I fuck this up. For everyone listening, when we say index fund, essentially you're buying a small portion of all the top performing companies in the S&P or whatever it may right. be. So, so really, any, yeah, any type of fund, index fund, ETF, close-end fund, mutual fund, any of those, they all have a specific strategy. Some of them, index funds, target a specific index. They want to mimic the returns of the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or whatever it is, or an international stocks, any of those. It's, it's in bonds too, right? So anything that you want from an index fund, they're going to find an index, they're going to try and mimic it. Uh, exchange-traded funds and, or ETFs and mutual funds, they don't necessarily need to target a specific index, but they're going to have a, an investment philosophy that they go after. So whether you're going after specific growth companies or you're going after companies that pay really good dividends, each mutual fund or ETF will have a specific target. Well, so it's mutual not funds always... have an advisor attached to it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so... Mutual funds are actively managed yep. compared to ETFs or index funds are more passively managed. Got it. So for someone who's doing this with low, low money, they're just starting to dip their toe in the water... Would it, be bad, would it be the best bet to go index fund? Because they're not going to have to, I mean, granted, this isn't a lot of money they're dealing with, but they're not going to have to pay any amount of transaction fees or overage fees or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's a, it's a big debate in this industry of active versus passive. Okay. Mutual funds cost more internally. And most of these platforms like Schwab, you actually have to pay a small commission in order to buy and sell them. Um, but the argument on that side is they're being actively managed, right? So people are buying and selling inside that mutual fund every day, but it costs more. And the flip side, the passive side is saying 96% of mutual funds underperform their, their benchmarks. So why would you pay extra when they're underperforming? So that's the argument on the passive side is you can go to Vanguard or BlackRock or anything like that. And their ETFs are going to cost maybe five or 10 like 0.5, a year. So they're saying, we're going to be really expensive and we're going to give you market returns. So that's the argument on that side is, hey, if 96% of this industry is underperforming, why would you pay extra for them? Sure. So that's why I tend to lean on, on the ETF side. Uh, but there's an argument on each side. Talk, talk about robo-advisors and what, and what they do because they're, they're yep. a whole different beast. Yep. So And that could very well be a good bridge in between you're putting $500 a month into, into Schwab to you're hiring an advisor at 100000 Yeah, there are robo-advisors now that you can put on and they'll have you fill out a questionnaire that will give you, hey, you should have this much in stocks, this much in bonds and things like that. Is it like a and risk tolerance assessment? Yep, okay. yep, exactly. And it's more automated, but still, it's they use technology where you answer questions and it spits out a return or a, a result. And then you're putting money in just like you were at Vanguard or Schwab, but they are now managing that money and you may have individual stocks in there. If they want to be making a trade or something like that, they're doing it for you. So they actually have discretion, the technology behind it, because robo-advisor, meaning it's a robot or an algorithm handling your money, um, can be making trades for you. So that's almost the step in between of, I'm not doing my own, I'm not hiring a professional, but I get something that's actually managing my money. What are some robo advisors you guys like brand names that, for people to go and research? So the big one now is Wealthfront. Wealthfront, yeah, for they sure. just got bought by UBS this past week. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So UBS. I'm bought curious them for... what that'll look like after, but yeah, they're the biggest. <laughs> it was one Wealth right now. what Wealth Wealthfront Front. Okay, yep. and they and it's a it's a great it's a great app, super slick UI, great UX. Like it's got the whole millennial experience behind it, right? You can put in there's a great calculator in it because I used to use it and you know, you put in, all right, I'm putting in a thousand dollars a month and my risk tolerance is a seven out of 10 and I want to retire when I'm 65 and it'll give you a nice little, here's how much you're going to have if sure. you, if you do this return every year for the next 40 years. And that's, I think an important part we, that I, I didn't hit on when we talk about the index funds or the ETFs, these are put it and hold it. 
type scenarios. Like this is not the day trading. Your buddy made you know two hundred thousand dollars yesterday on crypto or on fucking GameStop. GameStop yep. Yeah, like <laughs> this is you put it in there and you walk the fuck away. You never think about it. You never take it out. It's meant to just slow grow, yeah. and you know. The what I don't you guys what's the market on you know on average an index or the the S and P is always is what ten percent higher like, yes yeah, so over the last twenty I think since two thousand on so almost twenty twenty one years now uh, S and P I believe is about eight percent a year okay. So maybe a little higher now because last year was good. Yeah, and and that's like that like light bulb moment. You see it in all the YouTube videos and the reels. Is like if you were nineteen and you put away two hundred dollars a fucking month at blah 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 into an index, where would it be by the time you're fifty two and you'd be nineteen gajillion dollars? Like type scenario, the art of compounding interest. And <laughs> could you do like just a dumb dumb real quick on compounding interest and why that works? Yeah. How so works? <laughs> so how do we how do we dumb down compound interest? No, so. We'll, we'll use some easy numbers, right? So let's say your money doubles every 10 years okay. and you start with $100,000. Well, that 100000 after 10 years becomes two hundred. The next 10 years, now you're doubling 200000 So your two hundred goes to four. 10 years after that, your four hundred goes to 800000 And that's compound interest. So instead of you making 100000 every 10 years, you make 100000 in the first hundred or in the first 10 years, then you make two hundred, then you make four hundred, then you make eight hundred. So that's the compounding interest is the longer the timeline, your money keeps doubling on itself. So it keeps growing exponentially. Sure. Okay. Thank you. And, and that's honestly for that, for going back to the, you know, set it and forget it, put the money in, let hold it kind of scenario. That's, that's why kids that you want to let it sit there, let it grow on its own. Let it gets where the entire phrase of let your money work for you kind of scenario. Yep. All right. Now, uh, getting back to kind of this gym owner scenario, what does that look like? So, okay, we talked about the, you know, gym, right? Maybe go your own, maybe go robo, maybe eventually hire somebody. What do you guys recommend as like, what would the practical advice be for somebody? Be like, okay, we're profitable. How much profit should I leave in the gym? How much should I maybe take out and, and invest? Like, what does that look like? How much of your income should you be putting into an investment? Absolutely everything you can outside of what you need to live little rocks order. Thank you so much. Um, or what, like, what would you recommend? Like someone's like, okay, I'm profitable, but how much do I fucking invest? Mm -hmm. So a very good target and this is generic, but it's a good target for people to shoot for is as close to 20% of your income as you're doing. I'm good for now. Thanks. As close to 20% income as you can save for yourself. That that's a really good target for people to shoot for. Okay. So twenty so percent of what you're twenty percent of what you're you're taking. Yep. Okay. So if that means you're taking a little bit more out of the business, that's fine. Now everyone's decision has to be different based on do I need to reinvest that money into marketing or upfitting the gym or hiring somebody else, right? Things like that. But if this is true profit, you're taking care of the basics, you have excess money, and you can increase your income to get closer to that twenty percent of your income because extra money you can just store that extra away. If you get close to twenty percent, you're going to be really on track to doing to doing well financially. Where in that in that scenario, and I, I, maybe you could pull from your uh, the philosophy you do at your gym. Do you do you like to run your gym at a higher profit margin? Do you like to like lower? I'd that like thing? my profit to be zero for the rest of my life for <laughs> every business I own. Now, please, I, I'm very much in the exact same boat as you. Please explain why. Okay, so from a tax standpoint, and I am not a CPA, right? So. That's part of why I partnered up with a CPA firm. Um, But it's just so much less tax efficient if you are taking an income and you're showing a profitability in the gym, especially if it's an LLC or an S-corp where now things are getting passed through to you. It's increasing the value of the company in the short term, but now you have to pay taxes on money that you're not taking home. So people's effective tax rate is going through the roof because they're paying taxes on more money than what they're actually receiving. So that's a like a basic, simple version of it. But why would you want to be paying excess taxes when you instead could be taking the money that you're already getting taxed on? You don't have to get taxed on it later if you ever sell the business or, or you're taking out in a different manner. Um, it's just... For me, it makes a lot of sense of I'm not going to try and pay extra taxes. I'm going to take it, let that money work for me, pay the taxes I was going to pay anyway, sure. and now that money is growing and working in my brokerage account or retirement account instead. 
What do you recommend? Do you, as an owner, do you recommend more people go? And it all depends. I've got guys who are trying to get mortgages and the bank needs to see a certain W-2 and things like that. But do you recommend owners go more on the distribution side or the W-2 side? Uh, definitely d- distribution side. Okay. Yeah. Walk, um, walk through that. That will that will kill you, though, on, on going to get a mortgage. Correct. That's yep. that's the issue. I generally because I moved from W-2 to owner distribution and wanted to refi my house yep. the past year. And the banks were like, not even yeah. a chance. Like, you have great credit. Your income's coming in. But- not going to happen. No W two, and they're going to go back two years generally and go look yeah. at that. So it's like you got to plan in advance. And I called like you know the guy who's like the the general insurance on the TV commercial like to come talk to me about a mortgage. And like no one would touch me. <laughs> the and general like, didn't even want you. Yeah, no. It was the mustache. It, it was. It, the, it, it was. It was. The he saw a picture of me. And I was like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm. Uh, that will. There yeah. are there are some some considerations there on. on and I don't think you go. should do all of one or the other. If you do, you kind of handicap yourself both ways. So if you can do a mix of both, you're able to keep more money in your pocket, but you're also able to show a steady, consistent income. And, and you're right. That's the problem with the lending side of it is they're looking for stability. But even if you're labeled as a business owner, even if you're showing W-2, it's still coming with an asterisk. Yes. Right. So it's not the same as if you were an employee for that, that business and you weren't also an owner. Yeah. So it's coming with an asterisk anyway, but if you can show both, I think that'd be good. But a lot of people will just go straight on the W-2 side. Their and percentage you recommend between those two? Yeah. So let's say you, let's say you know you can so, take home uh, five grand a month. What percentage should you do as a distribution? What percentage would you do as a W two? I don't think I have a set number on it, just because every everybody's scenario is going to be different. Sure. Um, as long as you're showing a reasonable income for what you're doing, right? That's the kind of the IRS standard. I would hit that number, and then the majority after that would probably go distribution. Okay. Um, that would be that would be my thought. That's what I do personally. Yeah. And, and mine was similar to Dan's. I had to plan it out because I had to go talk to the mortgage guy and be like, what do you want to see? So if this is what I'm doing now, yeah, get back with me. Could I have the, I was trying to, little basils. Yeah, Dan just, Dan just can't see just for fucking, a frill, so. Yeah, just I'm just paying attention this over here. Right <laughs> He's so engrossed I'm in the so conversation. so fucking captivating. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, you know, I had to ask him, I said, hey, what are you going to want to see? Let's say my revenue stays at where it is, like I expect it to climb. But let's just say it stays here. What percentage, like what would you want to see? Well, lo and behold, fast forward a year and a half, just checking in, making sure we're still on track. Well, actually, now we just kind of talked about it. We had a meeting at the bank, and now we want to see something a little bit different. I was like, "Fucking quit moving the yeah. target!" Like yep. you're gonna be at the you're gonna be at the mercy of the lender. Yeah, and yep. so for me, that's that's part of the problem. Is if you're moving the the, the goalpost all the time, I'm gonna stop trying to guess where you're gonna move it next, and I'm just gonna try to try and optimize it for myself today. Yep. You're right; that could screw you over a little bit if you're trying to get a mortgage a year from now. But you also don't know what they're gonna require yep. or how they're gonna handle looking at a W two versus a distribution versus a dividend or something like that. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of argument, and funny thing, John, right, who's a CPA, Briggs, he's a big he's a big fan of running 1099s. Right through the business type scenario, big fan of it. If he can, if he can fuck the IRS in any way, shape, or form, he is so about it. Like yeah. he doesn't swear a lot, but he, I think his shirt say like "screw the IRS," but they should say like "fuck the IRS." But he's just a really he's not a foul mouth guy. I saw a guy uh, at the gym the other day had a shirt that said "taxation is theft." Yeah, so that was like, a great shirt. Yeah, I was like, like oh, where'd like you get that from? Do you have a do you have a thought or theory on that? Just as a gym owner, like do you generally run your they're people? 1099s. They're ten ninety nines. Yeah. Now. How do you just because you have to tell them where to show up? You tell them what to what to wear. They use your equipment, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you might not. You tell them what to do to a tune. I mean, I guess they get to run the class however they want. And, how do you justify? And it? that's it. It's it's them being able to run the gym. We will give them give them the guidance, and we will give them coaching and, and support. But at the end of the day, they're running this class. Now, if they don't fit our requirements, we can let a contractor go, but. They're the ones that are running the class. We're not micromanaging that on the day-to-day. Yeah. So that that's a big differentiation to make them an actual contractor versus employee. Like We don't have an employee handbook saying you need to do X, Y, and Z. We'll give them coaching development. We'll support them. We'll sit in on classes and then or, or join a class and then afterwards be able to give them some advice. But that's just... That's advice to a contractor, which is very different than saying you need to do these things as an employee. Sure. And for everyone listening, obviously, as a 1099 contractor, you are avoiding all the taxes you have to pay on a W-2. And the only thing I was ever concerned, because I've had this happen to a couple of clients, the gym owner does everything they can, very similar to you're doing, to, to 1099 someone. But that fuckface 1099 doesn't pay their taxes that year. 
Next year goes by, they might not pay their taxes. When the IRS goes to get them, there's going to be a magnifying glass as to where the majority of this money is coming from, and then it could red flag, and now you just at least have to have a conversation, and you've got to be able yeah. to show. What is it? It's like a 32-point bullet point that the IRS, 36 or whatever, Basically. of elements that make you a contractor that you have to meet, and now you're just kind of doing that song and dance. I know I think it was Core Power Yoga got fucked with it real bad in California. Obviously, Uber and Lyft have been dealing with that, yep. you know, the gig economy kind of uh, conundrum with 1099s versus w two. But no, that's, it's interesting that you – because I've, I've been very similar to what John is, is if you can, do it. And there's a lot of people who would rather go that route as well. Like They would rather have more money in their paycheck as a 1099 and then have less money because it's being taken out. Part of that issue is on the gym owner yeah. because being a small business owner, there are a lot of times where these people are not actual business owners, right? They just – now they own a business but don't know how to run a business. Sure, yeah. So typically they want control. Well, if you're trying to control every aspect, now they become employees and then you're screwing yourself. Yep, no, I agree. To your point earlier about keeping the microscope of the IRS off of you, I was going to say one big takeaway from this whole thing that I would I would say to people listening, get a good CPA. Yeah. Like before you even go for wealth management, yeah. get a good CPA that has your best interests in mind. Like they can be the shield between you and the IRS mm-hmm. and my CPA over the years has done a lot for me to keep that away. And that's worth its weight in gold. Right. Talk about, talk about screwing yourself by penny pinching. Sure. Yeah. It is an easy place for you to say, I don't want to spend 300, $500, $1,000 for a good CPA. And you're just, you're probably not maximizing your taxes anyway. Most of them pay for themselves in the first year, right? Yep. Like they get, they give you more money than what you're paying them. But then also, you're right, the piece of down the road, if you don't have a professional in your corner and the IRS comes knocking, you have no idea how yeah, to handle yeah. that. The oh. IRS is, has no mercy. No. <laughs> they, will, yeah. they will fuck you at every turn. 2013, I get hit. Uh, Steve Pinkerton calls me. He owns Cross of Vitality. Yeah. And he's like, yo, uh, audit's coming through for sales and use tax. Jim Focus, man. Be careful. Sure, like literally two days later, boom, 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 self-managed our uh, audit comes in. So she comes in, she's like, you have to do a self-managed audit, which means you and your CPA sit down, you review your books, you do whatever, and then you just cut us a check for the money that you should have been paying. And technically, just if it hits a certain amount, you're good. If you write that check for under a certain amount or something we feel is lower than what you should have been paying for sales and use tax, and you know, because nexus with property taxes, and where did you buy the equipment in Columbus? Did you buy it a muscle driver down in South Carolina? And are you, did you pay property tax or did you pay taxes on it or not? And uh, we, you know, we we overpaid slightly more than we thought because I didn't want them fucking then showing yeah. up. Um, but yeah, it's little shit like that. Like as a gym owner, I'm like sales and use tax. What's that? I'm just selling these bottles of water. <laughs> They're a dollar. Is that that big of a deal? And <laughs> but yeah, to them it, it is. It, it yeah. is a really big fucking deal. <clears throat> yeah. um, honestly, that was the best. Like uh, everyone's like, what was the the most profitable thing you ever did as a gym owner, like sell bottles of water. I bought 24 of them for two fifty, and I sold them for a dollar fifty a piece. Can't beat those margins. Nope. Dude, at, at CrossFit South End, we had no water fountain. I had no working water fountain. I sold water like a motherfucker. I was living fucking on plastic gold, just bottles everywhere. He had a huge fridge. I mean, like a full-size refrigerator just yeah. stacked with water. Deep. Just boom. Yeah, you could survive the apocalypse hun- the amount it, of water it was, he had. That was the best part of the month, besides when the drafts hit on the 1st or 15th, when we ran retail. And fucking we were charging people for waters. I was like, yes. I was like Scrooge McDuck with my water money. Uh, I loved it. And then I got a water fountain. I'm like, this sucks. Water sales are down significantly. Um, all right. Let's cut to uh, what are some of the major belief breaks you guys have to make with clients? And then I need you to like take your clients and then dumb it and like bring it down to the small business owner level. But like, what are some of those belief breaks where they have and you tell them X and you're the professional and they're like, yeah, they, they, I don't, I still don't want to do that. I sure you know your stuff, but I, I, for whatever reason, I'm holding on to some old romantic truth about something that I yep. read or my dad told me and I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So we could have done an hour on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I'll give you a few. One is, and you talked about it earlier, Dan, the emotional side of things. You can show people all the numbers in the world and understand that, hey, markets are going to go up, markets are going to go down, but it takes a lot to break a client from the mentality of every time the market goes down, I need to be concerned. Whereas instead, you need to flip that and be like, okay, if on the on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, 
everybody comes running to the stores because things are on discounts. But when it happens in the stock market, everybody runs away from the discounts. And if you can flip that mentality and understand that market volatility, especially if you have a timeline, is your friend, I mean, that's a game changer because you're putting money in when the markets are down instead of you're taking money out or putting it on the sideline. So like a crazy stat is, I think from 2000, 2020 or something like that, um, the average investor only made 2.4% a year, whereas the stock market made like 8.5%. And the difference was not because advisors are geniuses with picking investments. It's because during 2001, 2002, during 2008, 2009, the individual investor was panicking, selling, not getting into like two or three years later, and they missed out on all of the, the profits. So that's the biggest difference is people panic when things are going down instead of realizing, hey, the same stock I liked yesterday is now 20% off. Yeah. I And I, I mean, it doesn't take much. Uh, one of my favorite fucking guys, that, and I guarantee you guys probably follow a ton of you know, personal finance guys, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Schneider, uh, just a kid on Instagram, just fucking kills it with this. But like, when you look at the, the graph of what's happened to the market in the past 50 years, it's all up. It's like, I mean, it's like anything else, but like, why then do these are smart people. They obviously have successful businesses. These people have a lot of money they're giving to you guys to manage. Why are the, why do they still freak out when there's because a temporary they don't control it. Yeah. When they're business owners, they're running their business. So if things are down, they can say, this is why things are down. But with the stock market, price changes every day and they have no control over it. Yeah. So for that, it's, I don't understand why things are down today, but they weren't down yesterday. And you're getting valuation changes every single day and you don't get that in a business. So it moves daily. Well, it moves every second compared to your business. You may do a valuation every year, right? So if people even do that. So that's one, uh, but the the piece of you have no control over it is especially with business owners is a big big concern. Yeah, do you think that's why Robinhood did so well when it came on the scene and allowed a young with three young person with three dollars to just have this control? It's it was gambling. It's essentially it's what your brother thought. Essentially, fucking FanDuel <laughs> and all this shit. It was just it's fucking gambling yeah. essentially, yeah. and it's addicting to see the up. And the emotional down, there's some like sadomasochist addiction there as well that that ties into right. the yeah. the adrenaline on the up. You like there's yeah, addiction you, to day trading. I mean, yeah. those guys like you know you can make you can make a million dollars in a second and lose it the next second. Yep. And, like th- there's a rush there. It's you're, an exciting you're, day. Go, you're going yeah, to works every day. Yeah. I mean, you want a dopamine kick, <laughs> right? Like you try and day trade for the first time in yeah. your life. Yeah. Chase that and dragon see, every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you see your your accounts up fifteen percent in the in a day or in an, in an hour. And then the next day it's down 30%, but you're the one doing it. I mean, you're going to get a dopamine kick both ways. Best conversation I ever overheard was at a bar and it was these two kids talking shit about their fucking Robin hood or whatever. And they're talking about the, they're talking exactly like we're doing now. All oh, the highs and lows. It's amazing. The dopamine. And the guy yeah. next to him goes, yeah, I know, man, I have that same exact thing in my job. And like, what do you do? He's like, I, I search for landmines in the, over in Iraq. Like, <laughs> He's like, every step, it's a fucking rush. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, that's a good example. I mean, that's not bad. That's right. not bad. Um, now, with that, you know, the, uh, you're, you're never going to time and win the market. Like, you're not consistently going to win. So when I hear someone's like, I had Robin Hood. I, like, we've got friends that have done real well in a spark, yep. maybe with two sparks. I'm like, everyone's made a half-court shot fuckface. Like, everyone right. has. Like, yep. where would you say to anyone right now who's a gym owner, they're like, they're talking about me. I definitely have a Robin Hood app, and I definitely am fucking kind of addicted. Right. But I, and I know I'm not doing right by my gym or my family or my own personal finance. I'm definitely not doing what I should be, but I like playing my fucking Game Boy Robin Hood app, and that's fun for me. What advice would you have for them? Like, long-term, you are going to lose, you know, guaranteed against the market. So I have no problem with people doing that if that's their play money account. I have clients with millions of dollars where they have some money that's not with me because they just like dicking Fun, around. Yeah. Right. So I have no issue with that. But if that's changing your life of whether that account goes up or down, I mean, you have a problem at that point. That's like going and playing the slots machine every day because you're hoping to make a little bit more money. But if you don't make that money that day, you can't pay the mortgage. Right. That's an issue. Yeah. But if it's your play money account, I have no problem with it. Go, go and gamble, go and have fun. Yeah. It's like going to Vegas, do whatever, spend it, do whatever you want with it. Understand how much of it you can lose. If If this account goes to zero, 
everything's still getting paid, I, my family's still taken care of, yeah. then you're good. Yeah. What if it's play money, but you haven't established real money? You haven't made the steps to real wealth. I mean, if you don't have the established piece, then that's not play money. Noted. If you're carrying a balance at 14% on a Visa card month over month, <laughs> yeah. right. and you're also playing in Robinhood and losing money, yeah. you're doing it all wrong. Yep. And that was going to be one of the things, the the piece of someone's mind you have to change because I don't have to deal with clients. I'm not a registered advisor like Ben is. I don't talk to clients day to day, but I would say one of the things that I talk we to know, my We know why you don't talk to clients day to day. We get it. It's face to face meeting Zoom. You're not allowed. Yeah, Once he gets just... back to the beard instead of the mustache maybe, but until then. It's weird. People don't want to be near me in stores and stuff. I, know. I was like, I don't, I don't know what's Dan, going on. For everyone listening, Dan has had, had one of the most luscious epic fucking beard. epic yeah. red ginger beards. How many years did you have that? Probably five or six. I mean, it I was, was sick of getting compared to the guy from Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's it. I looked just like What was him. his name? Tormund. Tormund, yeah. That's exactly what he looked like. Trying to fuck all the wildlings. Yeah. Um, and then just one day he decided to shave it and leave this fucking cock duster of a mustache on. And, hey, he uh, hopped on a, a meeting, a one-on-one <laughs> internal meeting with me. I was like, oh, hey, Dan. <laughs> nice look. <laughs> Sarah, send, Super Troopers. Send Dan his termination papers, there, please. Yeah. <laughs> cancel it. Cancel yeah, let them. Me, let me mute my microphone. Cancel that quick. agreement. Um, all right, but so I think that's a really interesting point for the gym owner listening because a lot of, I, and I don't know how many gym owners are actually fucking around with day trading and playing in that world, or maybe they used to play in e trade world or whatever it may be. Like, I've done that. I see a lot, uh, I see that same behavior in just, um, I just got off a phone call and an individual had a really, really good month. This was January. So January 27th, we're high-fiving because they're about to finish out the month very, very strong. Today, February 4th, I'm going to fucking just reach through the Zoom and throat fuck them because they dropped seven grand on new equipment. And I, and I, and I see that. And I, I view that as like, they're like, well, okay, I made some money. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest it. Stupid fuck. Um, I'm going to invest it in the client experience. And the client's going to love that they get to run on fucking new grid house run or whatever the fuck, grid, grid house or grid, true grit, fucking whatever the new equipment company is, runners. I'm like, no, no. But like, that goes back to them not having a system in place. Yeah. If they had a system, they said, here's the things we'd like to buy when we have excess money, that'd be different because it's in the plan. But they, most people don't, so they get extra money and they spend it. Yeah. Just like individuals do, right? If you get a bonus... If you don't invest it, that money is gone within a couple of months. Yeah. But if you had, whether it's profit first or whatever, that extra money would have gone into your account. Equipment, how much do you guys think you spend on new equipment annually? And I know you're new. new but like yeah, so we had to do, there were a bunch, there was a lot of equipment that just needed to be sure um, changed out. But I would guess within about six or eight months, we'll get back to where we think everything is at least solid. And then after that, it's just going to be a few thousand a year. Yeah, it, it won't be anything crazy. It's it's incredible to me because uh, functional fitness equipment it has because I used to do this with Globo Gym. So my Globo like that was just you know if you 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 know you had five or six guys invested, you had a very fat reserve for maintenance on that kind of equipment. And the beauty of the model is you never ever ever should have to replace a dumbbell. Like you should never, ever have to replace a rubber coated dumbbell unless again, let's take out volatile dropping of it at the end of whatever, or uh, something that like dropping tens and fifteens and all this kind of shit that you shouldn't do anyway. Right. Right. Like you just shouldn't. If you're dropping a dumbbell from overhead, you better have hurt yourself. Correct. Or (laughs) you better be dead. You better, you better be dead. You better just had a fucking stroke. It's going to bounce and take out your friend next to you. A hundred percent. Um, but beyond that, I just, when someone's like, well, I got to, you know, I probably have, a, you don't know, maybe I need about $5,000 a month for more equipment. I'm like, no, you're just adding equipment. Like, you shouldn't have to replace it. And it, like, really, there's very little equipment. Mine is like, uh, I got gyms in Florida, rust, shit like that. But really, this equipment should last forever. Like, Concept 2 is bomb-proof. You'll have it for 20 years, minimal maintenance. Gym owners constantly investing money. It's just, it's more. It's more. It's just more equipment. It's, yep. it. And that's what like one of the the companies I like to work with is Metabolic. They buy they've got an equipment package. That's it. They buy it one fucking time. Never have to buy anything again. Like rarely, rarely ever yep. have to replace anything. Yep. And I've got Jim. I was like, yeah, I need to keep a contingency. About ten percent of my revenue every month has got to go to equipment. Wow. I'm like, what oh. is wrong with you? Yep. What that's are what, you doing? You're to just this a hoarder equipment? at that point. Yeah, you're, you're just, just <laughs> you're just like yeah, you're a gearhead. Yeah. yeah, you just want it to say you have it. Yeah, yeah that's why once we get to that point of having gotten rid of all the equipment that should be replaced. That's why our budget's so low. 
because we're the same way. It's hey, if you're if you're throwing around kettlebells or dumbbells or dropping tens or fifteens, I mean, you're not taking care of our equipment, right? That's an issue with you as a member. Yeah, and, and I get the I get the, well, uh, but it improves the client. You're all about client experience, so it improves the client experience. I'm like. You don't have to buy nine rogue barbells at three fifty a piece to replace those kind of rusted ones. I'm like why? I'm like because you've had them for six months and real client experience issues. The first time it fucking happens, you instantly know it and you lose money because of it and you fix it. Real client experience issues are generally um, very quick, very painful. Those are things that are I think more like an ego. You're a gym owner. You just picture I want the super nice gym and I see some rust on these things. I've never uh, been like, man, this gym sucks. The barbells are kind of rusty. And then a year later, that's why I put in my cancellation. Now, maybe it's a handful of other things. Maybe it's the barbells rusty and the bathroom sucked and the customer service was horrible and this other thing. Yeah, but, but isolated, yeah. none of them are decision no, makers. No, no one's yeah. like, man, the fucking, that one rower is a little, you know, the pulling isn't very <laughs> smooth and they haven't fixed that in six months. I'm right. outie. And you know what? You don't need the rogue bars because 90% of the members aren't, aren't good enough to appreciate a bearing bar anyways. Dude, that's why I went with that, that short barbell that I'm a fucking obsessed with. Um, it, short barbell, five feet, $65, delivered for free on Amazon Prime, motherfucker, through tri- Titan Fitness. Absolutely incredible. I, I'm obsessed with it. And uh, But no, you're right. I, I was uh, lifting weights. I was doing Olympic weightlifting only. And I remember the, the moment the coach was like, I was like, oh, I want that bearing bar yeah. to lift today. And he's like, what's your max clean? <laughs> and I told him, and he's like, yep, yeah. the inertia actually doesn't even fucking matter for you. He goes, you're yeah. not even strong enough. He yeah. goes, get a lot stronger, and then that bar will matter, and yeah. then you can use that whenever you want. And I was like, it, cool. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But that, that's just an area I see, like, and I don't know why, I feel like it's a gym owner's last, like, it's an attempt to, like, well, I'm doing something for this. Like, I'm not making enough money, but I, I can stay as a martyr, as a poor, broke gym owner, because I constantly reinvest in the business. I think reinvesting in the business at a certain point is just a fucking excuse at that point. Yeah. I think it's an absolute fucking excuse. So a big part of this, and this is actually how Dan got into to BGW as my COO, a uh, big part of this is the echo cha- chamber of industries, right? So if you're in a micro gym community and you're talking to other people who own micro gyms, everyone's saying the same things. So a big piece of me owning two different companies that are very different industries, right? They don't relate at all on paper is I can take stuff from one company and apply it to the other and vice versa. And Dan isn't, has, he's never been an, an advisor. So he's coming in with like a tech consulting background. He's questioned me on why I have things in place and come up with better solutions that the industry doesn't do. I question Ben on almost everything to the point where I'm, I'm I feel like at some point he's going to just snap and just no, hit me. which is perfect. So <laughs> and like, it's more out of like curiosity and exploration. Yeah, like, oh, well, like why did you do it this way? And he goes, well, that's just the way everybody in this industry does it. Yeah, and I, go, like, do I you, just haven't thought of a better I go, do you way? have to do it that way? Yeah. No? Okay, so well, good. let's figure so something else out. There's a really cool piece. Uh, there's a study done in the wealth management industry that if you have a client that does, I think it does three or more services with you, their retention rate or loyalty rate is 97%. So it's if you have three or four things, they basically never leave you. You've got clients for life. Well, I can apply that same mentality to a gym. You're like, okay, if I have a person who is, he's a, a CrossFit member, he gets nutrition, and he gets massage. He's probably never leaving us. And so that's something that you may not see from one industry to another, but I have actual data that I can apply from one side to the other. And yet with Dan, with the tech side, it's our technology is going to be infinitely better. It's already significantly better, but it's going to be infinitely better than the industry because I'm saying, here's what, here's what I came into this business with and he's saying, well, why don't we do this instead of that? Because he's not in the echo chamber of the wealth management industry. Yeah. So I would, one piece I would say to, to micro gym owners in particular is, uh, and I did this early on in my wealth management industry, was I created a, a business group that nobody in that group, we met once a month, nobody in that group could be from the same, same industry. industry. Yeah. And it was, okay, you're going to tell me what you're doing in your business, and we're going to figure out how that applies to my business. So get outside the echo chamber, talk to people outside your industry. One of the ladies was, she owned a bridal boutique, but I took things from the bridal boutique and applied it to my wealth management firm, which again, you wouldn't think that connects, Yeah. but get out, get outside that echo chamber and you're going to start doing things different. And now all of a sudden you don't need to buy the equipment because everybody else thinks you need to buy equipment. I agree. And I, if I got to, uh, if I were to tell any micro gym, what industry then should I look to bring somebody in on? So on the management side, the C-suite side, someone's going to be in your leadership team. I like the hospitality industry. 
that's honestly where I thought uh, my GM Isaac, because she came from the hospitality industry, I thought that's where she just elevated me. Yeah. I'm not maybe the most hospitable human um, ever. Um, <laughs> I, and, I relate to that. Weird. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but I... So I thought that, and that's like I would do like these staycations at the Ritz, and I just loved things I saw there, and that's where like at Urban we started opening the doors for everybody, and we started doing the towel, the cold towels at the end of the workout. I think it's all Ritz Carlton shit. I'm just ripping off, and I think they do it better than anyone. You ask somebody at the Ritz, "Where's the pool?" They can't tell you. It's down the hall to the left. Take the elevator to the fourth. They have to take you, and it's just a little. You're like, ah, fuck, that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? Even you know what? When I was 16, I worked at Wegmans. You know, oh yeah, the grocery, yeah, the grocery store up north, and best subs ever. Best subs ever. Even at 16, if you were in an aisle, at a sub minimum wage employee and someone says where's the milk you had to take them to the milk it's not back of the store make a left yeah. it is walk them there ask them if they have any further questions and then leave yep. yeah. compared to most grocery stores where they're going to avoid you so they don't have to interact <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> 100% I, I don't know I don't I'm never working here I just stole this apron <laughs> yeah. killed the guy in the back he's in the dumpster don't ask me any questions um no, I, lo- I, I appreciate you guys coming down. And I know I had to disarm the audience because I didn't want them to think this was a push. But I, I And again, I do know you've got a, a specific minimum and stuff like that. But So uh, we do it two different ways. Okay, yeah, do I- so we have an asset under management kind of minimum. But we've... And what is that? So it's not a hard number because we also look at upside and things like that. But typically, the, the minimum is going to be about 500 grand. Um, our average investor is probably about one and a half million. When you say million, look at upside, like that. that's like if I owned a hand job shop and I only had five grand to give you, but Torito was like, no, let's let him in. Like, like right. there's some perks there <laughs> that I can get yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. Just want to make sure. Just want to make sure. That's exactly what I meant okay. by upside. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely what I meant about it. <laughs> um, but then we also created a financial planning package because we work with a lot of business owners that maybe they have a high net worth, but they don't have the liquidity. So we just charge a monthly rate and then we're there advisor and we're their planner and create a plan for them. And then the first 500,000 that we manage for them doesn't cost anymore because it's just built right into the package. So that allows us to serve, like if there's somebody listening that has $50,000, but can pay a monthly cost because they need an expert, they just don't have the liquidity. Like we get that. And that's not something that's typical in our industry. So we, we built that in so we could service those types of illiquid business owners that have some complexity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did. I, I put that to, for everyone listening. I put that disclaimer out there in the beginning and glossed over it because I, I didn't want you to think it was a pitch, and I feel for like sure. that's always was better. But honestly, I've this is probably the only micro gym owner, micro gym client kind of like fucking tag teaming thing in this in this realm. It is very interesting. So if anyone's out there and in that kind of situation, uh, highly recommend um, yeah. syncing and, up with these guys, reaching and, out. And yeah. even if they can't become clients, sure. if they just want. If, if they just want to talk, if they just need advice, like they don't need to be clients. I don't need to make money off of it. I'm yeah. happy to have conversations. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I uh, I, I do appreciate that. And, and the, the one thing I want to go uh, even deeper and not be a dick for a second, it's super cool. I've Obviously, I knew your brother, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, client at my gym, one of the nicest dudes I've ever met. Probably the only person I was sad to leave, see leave my gym when I rebranded <laughs> Urban Movement that was hurts. your brother. Yeah, not you. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, <laughs> he was the only person I was sad to see leave my gym. Um, but then like, you know, when I heard you guys linked up, obviously, and obviously you me been friends forever and i just always knew what a fucking powerhouse you were and the fact like i always knew you were like not meant to like work for somebody else kind of scenario so this is super dope i i'm so glad you guys are doing this whole thing um thank you so much for coming down coming on i'll make sure to get contact information whatever you know you want for everyone in here to uh to know but all right guys thanks so much until i talk to you next podcast have a good fucking day